0: hi everyone i wanted to discuss a somewhat sensitive topic in this day and age and that is in relation to the understanding of the torah of chazal and of the various rishonema in relation to being black being a Kushi. so i'd like to start at the beginning <laughs> which is in our sedra this week. The Basic tells us that Miriam, Miriam and Aaron spoke about Moshe. Seemingly, they spoke something negative about him. So lakach, because he had married an Isha Kushis. Ki isha kushis lakach. And it seems that what they spoke negatively about him was in relation not to the fact that he had married anishakus, but in relation to the fact that he was not cohabiting with her in a normative way when they said about themselves that they live normative lives, they say Dibar Hashem, Hashem speaks to us as well, and we have not been required to abstain from normal normative life. So why is Meshra Benu seemingly abstaining from normative life? It seems that he's taking on <coughs> a stringency, a chumrah, that is not appropriate. And of course, we know the end result of that is that Moshe Rabbeinu is silent. He doesn't say a word. He's the Anav Ma'ed, Mikola Adama, Hashem Pnei Adama. And Hashem has to, as it were, fight his battles, because Moshe Rabbeinu is far too sure of exactly what he's doing, he is entirely comfortable in his skin. The criticism, even of the closest members of his family, doesn't phase him in the slightest. And he doesn't feel the need to fight back, to preserve his honor. There's nothing personal, there's no egotistical about anything about Moshe Abenu. And it goes in one ear, not the other. It doesn't have any meaning. So, therefore, Moshe Abenu doesn't respond, and Akkadish was forced to respond and therefore it brings out them outside to talk to them and he says what are you talking about there's a fundamental difference between your nevuah and the nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu by you you're not neviim on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu he's power peh but you is bimara bechidah you get visions you don't have which is a very intimate Lashon. Mouth to mouth, Hashem speaks with Moshe Rabbeinu. You, Miriam and Aaron, you don't have it. But of course, Aaron is not the one who had been doing the speaking. He was the Makabbal of the har, not the one who actually instigated it. That was Miriam. She's punished. Miriam She uh, gets tsaras. This is the story, the source. Now we see that Saras is associated with Lashon Hara. Of course, Aaron pleads with Moshe Rabbeinu to daven for his sister, and Moshe Rabbeinu says it's very famous. shorts Tfilah, Kell Nara Allah, and the the Bnei Yisrael wait till she is rehabilitated and then they move on. That's the end of the Sajra, That's the end of our parsha. But the very first pasuk this is a somewhat enigmatic pasuk. Miriam they spoke about Moshe. <speaking in Hebrew> they spoke about the Isha Kushis that he had married. <speaking in Hebrew> because he had married an Isha Kushis. What does this mean? So the Rashi tells us that you should know number one. That Kushis is the Gematria Gematria's numerical Associations that could be allusions of various levels of meaning. Rashi says you should know that the word kushis has the same gemach as the numerical equivalent of your or somebody very beautiful. So, according to Rashi, what we're saying is we're talking about somebody incredibly beautiful. That's the person who Mashri Abenu married. When we say the word kushis, so why do we have to say the word kushis? Why can't we say that she was very, very beautiful? It's not like the Torah doesn't use the word of Yifas Torah, uh, Yifas Mara. Let's say about Rachel, about Yosef, about Esther. The Torah uses words like this. Um, I don't want to say a, a doesn't, but certainly uses these words in other situations. Why not over here? We can leave that as a question we could say it was to avoid iron heart whatever the reason one wants to use but all rashi is pointing out is the fact that this that this um um woman was very beautiful again according to rashi the reason that we don't want to mention that she was a Ifat samara was because of the fact that shalatishla by iron heart that there shouldn't be any iron heart but I don't know that necessarily you have to say that. In other words, you could say that she was very beautiful. in the Torah is not is not using the term for other reasons. What might be some of these other reasons be? So the other reasons might be because of the fact that that Kushi um, is very striking, and maybe they wanted to talk about how striking she was. She wasn't just pretty; she was just incredibly striking. And that's something I'd like to focus on. Is this there is an aspect of striking that Chazal saw in the word kushi. It's not just merely a description of somebody who comes from Eretz Kush, which is Africa, which is seen as the the source of where people of black skin color, black pigmentation come from. It's not merely a situation of associating it with something negative. There is an aspect within Chazal that sees it as just striking. So let's bear that in mind. So number one, we have Rashi. Rashi's approach is we're saying Isha Kushis, who was a regular woman, but she was so she was so beautiful, she was so striking. The Torah not want to mention it about her. So therefore, we say call her Kushis. Okay, you would have to answer like why by Rachel? Is there no concern about saying she's Yifas Torah and Yifas Mara? Maybe Rashi could answer about Rachel and Yosef. Right, they're known. Right, the Gemara Megillah that tells us that they're not shaylet by Ayin Har. Right, that's the famous Gemara about Rabbi Yechanan. Rabbi Yechanan says right, Rabbi Yechanan was very handsome. He was very uh, very comely. Right, that's where he, and he didn't have a beard. That's where Rish Lakish thought that when he saw him uh, swimming, he thought it was a woman. Right, and we know how handsome he was. The Gemara Brachas tells us that he would he would take he picked up his arm, his sleeve off his arm, and the room was shining like. He was, he was suffused with light, supernal light. He was very beautiful. And um, so Rabbi Yechonon would sit, Mesharei Tevili would sit at the gates of the mikveh, the Gemara tells us, a very odd, him and Rabbi Gidl would sit at the gates of the Tevila. And they would do different things. Rabbi Gidl would tell people, the woman who was going into the Tevil, the what they should do, what they shouldn't do, answer their questions and the like. And in the case of Rabbi Yechonon, he wouldn't, wasn't, per se, answering questions. He was there so that the woman should see how beautiful he was. And like Allah, the the, the story that we have by Yaakov, when he took the speckled and the spotted, the, the rods, in order to be able to increase the sheep and the goats that would grow in, the, in, in those kind of looks, the same kind of idea, this idea that was in science considered legitimate science. Today, it's not considered as much, and I don't want to get into that right now. The idea of imprinting on the basis of what one sees, that that is what one will conceive, that was considered very fundamental then, a very legitimate science. You see that, obviously, in the psukim in relation to Yaakov and the sheep, but also you see that in the Gemara bar Yechanan, that people who would look at him, they would be zeichet to have children as handsome as he, and as beautiful as him. But the Gemara says, well, "What about iron heart? The people are going to see, you, they're going to have iron about you." He says he says, "Ani," and I, again, I don't know that he meant it in a literal sense, but he says, "Ani," right? I'm I'm from my yichus is from the base Yosef, right? I'm from the the shevet of Yosef. That's not shail by iron There's no iron on the tribe of Yosef. So it could be that that's the reason for Rashi why the Torah wouldn't be afraid of using the term. Yifas tar, yifas mar, when it comes to Rachel, when yifay tar, yifay mar, when it comes to Yosef, Esther, etc., because that's all from the, the Yosef, the Rachel line, that there's no Ayin Har over there. Whereas, and it goes all the way to Rabbi Yechanan, you know, the Amora. Whereas, but, you know, for Moshe Rabbeinu's wife, there could be that issue. That's number one. Number two, we have the Rashbam. The Rashbam says that what does it mean? The Rashbam brings down the chronicles of Moses. He's not the only one that brings this down. The also brings it down in the beginning of Parashat Shemais. And what it says in the chronicles of Moses is that Maishu Rabbeinu was the ruler in the land of Kush for 40 years. You have to remember that we have no exact idea of how old Moshe Rabbeinu was when he ran away from Egypt. We know that he was a kid growing up in the palace. We know that he was of a certain age. We don't know the exact age, but the puzzle tells us of exile but he had grown up. He had gotten old enough to go see what was going on outside the palace, go see the servitude. And then we know he comes back to Mitzrayim to take the Jewish people out, and he's 80 years old. There's an interim period there. How long is that interim period is not 100% clear. We know that at least at some point and during that period, he was in Midyan. We know he married Zipporah. We know he was shepherding sheep. We know the story of the snout. We know all of that. How long all of this period was is not 100% clear. So the Deva Yom Suggests that there was a significant period of time, Arboim Shana, that he was the king in the land of Kush. The land of Kush is obviously not near the land of Minyan. The land of Minyan is the east of Eretz uh, Yisrael. The, I'm sorry, the east of Eretz Canaan, the east of the Yardane, within the borders of Eretz Yisrael, as the Malbim likes to point out, the distinction between Eretz Canaan and Eretz Yisrael. So within the borders of Eretz Yisrael, but not within the borders of Eretz Canaan. It's to the east. And what about Kush? Cush is Africa. Kush is a totally different direction. But if Maishra Rabbeinu ran away, and again, from the, well, the way the Torah plays it is he ran away from Pari, and he ran straight to Midyan, and he ran to the Be'er. If that was how it happened, then okay, then uh, he went in a different direction. Eventually he left Midyan and, and went to Kush. I don't know. Uh, it's not 100% clear. But again, the Divrayam Yom Meshach claims that in 40 years he was in the land of Kush where he was ruling over there. And he took a queen. He married a Malka Achas. And he had never actually had relations with her, but he married her. And they had no idea that this queen that he had married <coughs> was not somebody that he was actually having a relationship with. Because remember that he has another wife. He has the wife from Midian. He has the wife from Yisray, right? He has he has Zipporah. So according to the Rashbam, unlike Rashi, he has two wives in effect, right? He has his Isha Kushis, the woman that he married and met in Africa, who he never um consummated a marriage with, and he has his regular wife, Zipporah <coughs> from whom he had, you know, and Eliasa. So this is the Parshat Pshat according to the Rashbam. And therefore, and, and the Rashbam's proof is, if it was really Tzipira that we're talking about, then why are you calling her an Just call it Tzipira. We've mentioned that before. If you go back to Parshat parsha, you know uh, Yisra, we talk about Moshe Rabbeinu's wife. So why not just mention that here? Why do you have to use some appellation? That's foreign to us. Talk about the Isha Kushis. <speaking in Hebrew> if that's what we're talking about, it's Tzipayram. <speaking in Hebrew> why, why do you have to refer to that, to this woman as the Isha Kushis? Just refer to her as Tzipayram. And in fact, Tzipayram is a Midianas. She's not a Kushis. So the Rashbam has two points to make to explain why it's not appropriate to say that this Isha Kushis is really Zipaira. One, it would say Zipaira. Two, she's a Midianist, not a Kushis. So therefore the Rashbam is saying the Ikar Pshuta Mikra is that this Isha Kushis was a woman whom he met in Kush and married. Why the uh, the Rashbam feels the need to stress that he had never had relations with her is not clear to me. In other words, from the point of the story of saying that Moshe Abenu had had um, separation from his wife or wives as a result of speaking to the Shekhinah because it was always possible that Moshe Rabbeinu would be speaking to the Shekhinah and he always had to be available. It was never a time when Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't, as it were, on call, on duty. So... In that way, Moshe Rabbeinu is different than the other Nevi'im who are at specific times, like the Rambam points out in the Akdam They didn't have Nevu all the time. They had specific times that they, had, they were receptive to Nevua. So Moshe Rabbeinu, therefore, had to be living on a much higher level. But that didn't start in Kush. In other words, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu was on a high level, but he didn't have his revelation until the Snat. He didn't have his revelation until he's about 80 years old when he's going back to Egypt. So why insist that back then... That he had never ever engaged in intimacy with this with this kushes. Now, Rashi is saying, I'm saying this because the דברי of מאייש says it, but it's not necessary in terms of the in terms of this story. In other words, for this story, you just have to know that once Meirshay Rabbeinu began to speak to Hashem at that point in time, so he had to separate out because he always had to be available to speak to Hashem. But you don't have to say that going back to when he was a young person in Kushti that he that he was doing that. So that's um, but but nevertheless the Rashbam does say that and he brings that down from the Devar of Moshe. And then um, um, and additionally the, the Rashbam points out the last thing is the Rashbam points out that it would it's not just that. Kushes can't be Tzipor because it would say the word Tzipora. It's not just not Tzipora because um, she wasn't a Kush. She was a Midianite. He says fundamentally, Kush is from a different a different family. Kush is from Ham, right? Cush is the children of Ham, and 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 uh, a Midianite is from the children of Midian. This is from the children of Keturah and Avram. So it's just it just doesn't make any sense to. To sort of force the meaning of Kushas to refer to tzipor. This is the opinion of the Rashbam. Says the Ibn Ezra. Listen, what anybody quotes from the Divayam of Meishem is absolute false. It's narishkait. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. That's what the Rash- That's what the Ibn Ezra writes in Parashas in in Shemais, in in Shemais. The Ibn Ezra here, though, in Parshish Baal brings it down, even though he tells you in Shmais, al don't believe this. Right? It's all nonsense, whatever you read in Deir of Moshe, And over there he tacks on other things like Sefer Zerubavel and, uh, and, and Eldar Hadani and all the other, you know, um, sort of um, fanciful tales that were popular at the time. So he... Puts into this, this divayam de He says, don't believe any of it. But here, in Parsons Baal the Ibn Ezra writes, Yeshua Arim ki Meishem Moloch al-Kush v'lochach Kushes. There are those that say that Meishu Rabbeinu ruled in Kush, and he married a Kushes. Why here? He doesn't feel the need to rip on the divayam of and say that Al-Tam and don't believe it, It's all it's all false. It's not clear. It's not clear why, why he doesn't feel the need to do that here. But what he does say on his own pshat is he says like this, What seems right in my eyes is shazua that you should say that the kushis is really tzipaira. Not like the Rashbam who says they're two different people, but like Rashi. Rashi said that the kushis is tzipaira. She's called Akushas because she was very beautiful and we don't want the iron heart to be Charlotte on her. She's not from the Yosef, Rachel, Esther, you know, kind of tribe. We have to be careful. So therefore the Torah called her Akushas. But really, says the Ibn Ezra, she's Akushas. And, and sorry, says the Ibn Ezra, she's Tipura. She's not like the reasons for Rashi, because of the gematrias and the Haras and all of that. No, for the Ibn Ezra... She is Zipaira. And why is she called the Kushis? Kihi Because she's a Midianite girl. Um Midyanim And people from Midyan are Yishma'elim. Why What does he mean? What he means is, is that the same way that Yishma'el was from Hagar married to Avram. So Keturah, especially if Keturah is Hagar, married to Avram. So these are the younger brothers of Yishmael. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that they all sort of intermingle together. And it's not really possible to any longer tell the difference between Midian and and Midan and Yishbuk and Shuach and Yishmael. It's all Yishmael. And that's the world that we have today. That's the world that we have today in relation to the Middle East. Right? There's, there are certainly various tribes, but there's no tribes of Midian anymore. And they all identify, in the larger sense, as Arabs, as the children of Ishmael. This has practical implications. We can't get into right now a tangential point, but it has practical implications in relation, for example, to the mitzvah of Brismillah. According to the Rambam, the mitzvah of Brismillah applied to the children of Avraham of Avinu. Right, it applies to Yisshmal. He was there, and this, uh, you know, would this mitzvah apply to these, to these other, to 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 these children who were not initially part of the Brits? Again, not for right now, but according to the Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra says that the Magianim are Yisshmalim. They're in effect Ishmael, which is the way of the world that we see today. There's no difference. But for the Ibn Ezra, it's the way they live. They live the same way that the Ishmaelites live. They live in tents. They they live in the tents. And so what's the issue if you're living in the tents? Because when you're living out in the sun, with the sun beating down on you all the time, then the the sun is going to darken you. The sun is going to blacken you. It's going to tan you. Then lahem Then they're not going to look white at all. They're just going to seem very, very dark, very black. Because Zipporah was is a Midianite, which is a Ishmaelite, which is living in a oil, which is always out and exposed in the sun. She didn't have any whiteness left her. She was totally black. So now you see three different opinions as to what the isha kushis was. We have the opinion of Rashi, the Rashbam, and the Ibn Ezra. Rashi and the Ibn Ezra agree fundamentally that the kushis is Sipara, but for very different reasons. The Rashbam, of course, says that there were two wives. There was a kushis and there was Sippara, two different wives. So I want to explore tonight. This is sort of the introduction. What I want to explore tonight is this idea that if if Avra if if Tzipayra is a Kushis, according to the way of the Ibn Ezra, that is, the Rashbam is not discussing the nature of blackness at all. He's just simply saying she came, she held from the land of Kush. The Rashi is saying Kush is, is a reference to something very beautiful. it just avoids eye and heart. That's why we say, according to the Ibn Ezra, it's something to do with not, not, the, not the fundamental aspect of how one is born, but, but the nurture. Right, not the nature, the nurture. One can become black if one is exposed to the sun, and that's what happened with super How did how, how did the Torah see this? How did the Chazal see this? It's clear that being black was not per se complementary. And the question is, why not? Was it something fundamentally wrong, or was it a situation of that? whiteness was just more appreciated. Here we see a number of different psukim, a number of different chazals that are relevant to this question. We have a Pasuk in Shir Hashirim. The Pasuk in Shir Hashirim tells us that the, the, right at the very beginning, right at the very beginning of Shir Hashirim, the Pasuk tells us, I am black, but I am very beautiful. The nice Yehushalayim, the 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 lover is telling this to the daughters of Jerusalem. I'm very beautiful, even though I'm black. Okay. Kedar. I'm like the people from the tents of Kedar. The tents of Kedar are, of course, the Arabs. Right. So here you're seeing the Arabs, the tents, the Ishmaelites. You're seeing that writ large, not in Chazal, but in the very pasuk itself. The pasuk continues, and the pasuk says, "Al don't look at me in a negative way because I am very black because the sun has made me very, very tanned. And over here, Rashi points out exactly this, that idea that this is not a natural blackness. This is a, a person who is white, who the sun has had a uh, very strong tanning effect and because of the fact that it was not deemed as a good thing to be black. So therefore, the person in the story, the lover in the story in Shir is saying, don't look at me negatively. even I'm still I'm still beautiful. But the, the understanding of how it became akushis was because of the sun. And we see that that's a that is relatively partial shot in a posak. What about a chazal? And I think from chazal. We, and so, but just to be clear what Shiram is not saying is that there's a negative value in being black Shirashiram is not saying anything of the sort it's simply propounding that the point of view of the lover in the story is going to be looked at negatively by the passersby, by the Bnei Tzu Shalayim and she's trying to explain it away she's trying to say no no I'm totally fine, but it's not that, that that is the Torah's value in any way. It is the value of the time of the people in, in Tanakh and the people in that story. That's how the Bnei Suhoshalayim would react to the story, to react to seeing a situation like of somebody who is a kushet. So she's explaining, I'm not a kushet, I'm just shechacheres, because she's a fast shemesh I've been out in the sun too much. What we can see, I think, is the opposite. That is, the Torah is telling us that Moshe Rabbeinu married Anisha Kushis. Moshe Rabbeinu married a black woman. If anything, the Torah is telling you the exact opposite. The Torah is telling you that it was good enough for Moshe Rabbeinu. The leader, the Mashiach and Shal Yisrael, had no issue with marrying Akushis. So if you want to see what the Torah thinks about the quote unquote blackness, look at it as the greatest savior, the greatest savior of the Jewish people, the greatest human to ever live, was married to Akushis. Rather than looking at Shirashirim to see somebody decrying their blackness and saying that it's just because of the sun, clearly those people are impacted with a view that being black is has a negative aspect so therefore you're trying to explain it away as being impacted by the sun, but that's not what the narrator is saying is the appropriate value that is what the protagonists are feeling in the story or at least that's what the Bnei Sushalayim would feel and therefore the protagonist has to explain it away let's look at Chazal for a moment from Chazal we have a number of interesting Gemaras that discuss this topic. For example, we have a Gemara in, in Brachas. The Gemara says in Brachas that you make a bracha of Mishana Abrias. When you see somebody who's black, you make a bracha of Mishana Abrias when you see certain animals. Let's say when you see a monkey, right? What does that mean, Mishana Abrias? Meshana just means it's weird. It's an oddity. It's something that no one saw before. Something that no one had come across. From being Mishunet, from being something that's different, there's no negative association. It's just, wow. That is amazing. But it's not negative. It's just, wow. So when you have a wow moment, it's just so weird. It's not a normal thing to see. So you make a brach shine I breeze. One cannot discern a view in Chazal that that's somehow uh, very negative. Not at all. It's just simply odd. Something that was not within the normative experience of a person's life. That's why you had to make that bracha. In fact, if somebody saw an elephant, they have to make the same bracha somebody sees an elephant, they have to make a bracha, Mishan b'riz. You go on safari, you have to make the bracha, Mishan b'riz. It's not because it's negative. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's just not normal, not usual. Of course, if you lived in the land of Kush, you wouldn't make the bracha, Mishan b'riz. You're making the bracha because it's a shinoi for you. It's odd for you. But... Obviously, that's not the whole story. There's more to this. It seems to be that we can see in some chazals that being black did associate with a negative connotation, did carry a negative connotation, right? So what we've shown so far, again, is that if anything, there's a positive connotation that Moshe Rabbeinu was married to Akushis. Again, possibly not a literal kushis because she was a Midianite, said Poirot, but she looked very dark, she looked very black. Or maybe, or maybe like the Rashbam, maybe she really was a kushis. Maybe the Divray of Moshe is correct. It was a second wife who was married to a black woman. But either way, it's a positive association. And Shirashiram, one is only seeing that the people or the protagonist, or maybe both, had some sort of negative association they felt the need to explain, but it wasn't the narrator. It's not the text itself. It's not the terrorist saying that. When we come to the Gemara and Sanhedrin, I'm about to say it's a different story. The Gemara and Sanhedrin says that there were three, anim, three animals, three, three people, no, not people, three things that behaved inappropriately in the Teva. The kelev, the Eirev, and cham. That they engaged in intimacy during the time when the world was being destroyed, which was considered inappropriate. And they each got punished. What's the punishment of cham? The punishment of cham was, the Gemara says, He got Punished in his skin. How did come get punished in the skin? Where's the indication in the Gemara in the Chaz, in the Chumish that Chum was punished with the skin? There is no indication. We don't know what that means. What does it mean? He was punished with the skin. Nothing in the Torah indicates that at all. Rashi says Shalaka right? be'ayray means that Shiyata me'metal kush that kush was came out from. From Chum. What does Rashi mean? The on Mep- Rashi, the Ben Yayada, for example, others point out that Rashi means that Cush was black. And Cham's punishment for being engaged in inappropriate intimacy with Shaloka that he got punished with his skin because he had a black son named Cush who founded a whole nation, a whole people, a whole a whole tr- a whole continent that looked like that. This is the approach of the Gemara Sanhedrin. In fact, the Yalkut Shimoni makes this clear. The Yalkut Shimoni doesn't just simply say that Chama was punished; that he was loka but it says It says what Rashi says. I like to point out that the Alcu Shemani. We don't exactly know who wrote it. They some think that it came from Frankfurt um, in the you know maybe eleven hundreds or so. Rashi never quotes the the uh, the but but the Alcu Shemani says exactly what Rashi says in San <coughs> in Sanhedrin. That is, that cham was laka men of Kush. Now, when we take this gemara, this gemara is obviously saying something different. Here you have cham who did something inappropriate. Again, we're not talking about the inappropriate act that we see in the in the pasuk. Right, the pasuk tells us that cham had done something inappropriate. Again, it's not 100% clear what he had done. Obviously, Noach found it despicable, and he curses him, Ever that he's going to be for his brothers, but the Torah is not 100% clear what he did wrong. Many, many different a- answers that are given. But here the Gemara is saying something else. He engaged in a different sin. This sin was not to Noach. This was a sin against God, as it were, during the Teva, during the trip on the Teva, and the punishment Is that his child's skin was stricken. Why? I mean, his child's skin. It says that he got struck. Again, as Rashi points out, as the Yaakov points out, we don't find any indication that Chama got punished. The indication is that the punishment was in his son, Kush. So now being black becomes, in the eyes of this Chazal, not just simply Mishunet, not just simply as being something different, amazing, unique but it becomes something associated with negativity. It becomes something associated with a curse. That's a very different kind of way of seeing blackness. And that is clear that from this side of Chazal, that it was understood in this way. And as I said, the Yaakov also makes this clear as well. But Let's move on, because that's not the whole story. That is like this. We have a Gemara in cotton. The Gemara middle of my cotton tells us that mm-hmm. Shigoyan the Tapasak, Shigoyan the David, um, Asher, Sharla Hashem, Al Divre Kush Benyamini. She in the David, like David made a bubble. What? That he was singing to Hashem about Kush Benyamini. Cush, the son of Yemini. Who's Kush ben Yemini? Says the Gemara. The Gemara explains. Kush Who's this ben Yemini? Ben Yemini is Shol. And David HaMelech is calling him Kush. His name was Shol. So the Gemara says like this. You know why? Shaul is called a kushi, because he was Mishunah b'mayasav. He was very, very different. He was unique. You have to remember, the Gemara tells us that even after all the sins that Shaul had committed both in terms of trying to kill David, when it was unwarranted in terms of killing the city of Neveh Irak and and, and, and and wiping them out at the end of his life, Shaul right? Again, he had done things that were inappropriate in relation to not killing out Amalek and to, you know, killing out a Knife. He was like, harbe Right, so he's on the way out. There's the last battle. And he goes to see the witch of Endor. And the Gemara learns out when he goes to see that witch that he is going to be tomorrow. It's like the, uh, you know, the joke about uh baseball. I heard this joke when I was, I think, eight years old or nine years old. Later on, I read it, readers digest. It's an oldie but a goodie, I think. The joke goes that there were two guys. They were best friends for life and they loved baseball. And when they were when they were getting older, they said, you know, um, whichever of us dies first, gotta come back and tell the other one: is there baseball in heaven? So um, one of them died, and uh, the next night, the friend has a dream. His friend comes to, the one who just died, comes to him in a dream, and he says, I got good news, and I got bad news. Which one do you want first? He says, ah, you know, give me the good news. She says, ah, there, there is baseball in heaven. He so oh, that's great, that's amazing. What's the bad news? The bad news is you're pitching tomorrow night. Right, So that's what it's sort of over here. The witch of Eindar tells Sheol that tomorrow you're going to be here with me. That's bad news because you're going to die tomorrow. The good news is you're going to be here with me in my place in heaven. Sheol Ha-Melech is not going to Gehenim for all of what he's done wrong. Sheol Ha-Melech is going to go to Gan Eden and be with Shmuel HaNavi. Shmuel HaNavi that we say Merisha v'Aram B'Khainov. Shmuel is like the value of Meish and Aaron together. Shmuel is one of the most amazing prophets in Jewish history. And Shaul is going to be with him. You have to understand what kind of person Shaul says the Gemara. He's a Kushi because just like a Kushi is His skin looks so odd to people not from the continent of Africa. So to Shaul. His meisim were just incredible. He was just so unique as a person, as an individual. He was such a tzaddik. And the Gemara doesn't stop there. The Gemara says, and the Gemara there knocks David Hamelach and says that there's a lot of Davids, but Shoal is one of a kind. And the Gemara then brings another example. The says, and the Gemara says, our that the married isha kushis, and the Gemara says. Was she a kushis? So here the Gemara says, no, she wasn't a kushis. The Gemara here says that the kushis is Tzipira. But the same thing, just like a kushis is Mishana B'mayisav. And Mishana B'mayisav is so odd in the way they look. So too Tzipira is Mishana B'mayisav, just like Shoal. She was such an amazing person. So the Torah is using the word kushis as a way to associate how amazingly odd how unique how how untrammeled there's just simply nothing comparable to this so from this we have another reason that we haven't seen before right according to the way rashi learns so the kusha says Sipira, but you have a different reason right the kusha says tzipayro but you have a different reason what's the different reason it's because of iron heart that you don't want to say Tzipira. According to the Ezra, the Kushis is Tzipira, you don't, but uh, it's called the Kushas because she was out stuck in the sun. Not the Gemara here. The Gemara is saying that she's Tzipira, but she's called the Kushis because she's by myself The Torah is trying to call attention to how unique Tzipira was, how wonderful she was. And so therefore, the same way that she is so absolutely unique in her, and the same way that Kushas is so unique in his Eirah, so too, Tzipira is so unique in her ma'asim. And the Gemara continues and said the same thing about Tzitzkiyo. What a great person he was! And the Gemara says, because it says "Eved Malkushi," and what do you mean? Who houses the The Gemara says the same thing about Tzitzkiyo. But the Gemara there concludes the same thing about about the bnei Says the pasuk, actually The Jewish people like the bnei kushiim, and the Gemara says that the Jewish people are amazing people. And the same way that Akushi is so unique in his skin, the Jewish people are so unique as a nation. That is to say, this Gemara is giving us not just the idea that Akushi is Mishunah, Akushi is different, is unique, and you make a brach on it. That's what we saw in the Gemara and Brachas. This Gemara is telling us that is using the idea of the Mishunah of Akushi, of the uniqueness of the skin of a black person, to highlight how amazing Sholomelach was, how amazing Tzipar was, how amazing Kyo was, and ultimately how amazing Klai Yisrael was. So a very different look. It's not just simply Mishunet, Oh, it's odd. It's like, you know, one of these um, Guinness World Book of Records or what do they call Ripley's oddities or one of these things. That's not what this is. This is, wow, this is amazing. This is used as my way of trying to get across to, to the reader how amazing these characters were in Tanakh, how amazing the Jewish people are. So what I think we see from this Gemara is, like I said, much more than just the regular mashunah that you see in brachas. Here we're using it as, the source to explain the uniqueness of the Jewish people of Sippara, of Shal, and of Tzitkiyo. I'd like to bring in another Gemara. And the Gemara says, uh, there's a Gemara that says as follows. It's a Gemara Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah something a little negative about, again, about um about uh, the skin of black people, says the Gemara, that those who are, the Gemara gives different levels of people who sin and what their punishment is. And the Gemara says, <laughs> like Yeravim ben Nevat, right? Yeravim ben Nevat, he took the Jewish people and mamish put them down big time. What did he do? He prevented them from going to make Ali El Arago he prevented them. He put up a he put up a bummer's right in 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 the north of Israel in in Beit El and Dan, and he said, "Why do you have to go down to the temple? Remember, the temple it was a draw, right? So after the splitting of the kingdoms into into Yisrael and Yehuda, the people, if they went to be Eila Regal, the way the Torah says, they would be very easily drawn to go back and follow the tribe of Yehuda. They're going there obviously for their spiritual connection. So why not have their King be their king as well. So, in order to avoid what would be a fundamental challenge to his kingdom, a frontal attack on his kingdom, if every year they're leaving a few times a year to go to the enemy. So, how did he do that? He prevented them from going to the enemy. How did he prevent it? He put up guards on the road and said, You can't go all the regular. You want to go all the Here, yeah, I got a great bummer for you. In fact, some of the people who are in the archaeological uh, world suggest. And he'd even maybe try to, you know, model them as beichas and is after the, the ones in Jerusalem, maybe tried to make him feel at home. I'm not 100% clear. But but and is a chitim is no chelik in Olam In fact, Sanhedrin tells us that Hashem offered him a chance to repent. And he said... Um, and Hashem says, you're going to walk with me and Davin and Gan Eden. In other words, like Shol, you're going to be Imi so Davin and Melech walks with God and the offer is out on the table to Yerub and Benavad. You can walk with Davin and Melach and, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Gan Eden. If you just repent, if you give this up, this destruction of, 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 the, uh, of the Jewish people by making them go on to worship these idols, these little Egl Azavs that he put there. And um, Yeruvah Manavad's response, according to the Gemara, is, me Right? Who gets to walk in the front? And Hashem responds that David HaMelech is going to be Barash, and Yeruvah says, If so, it's not kedai for me, I'm not interested.
1: So the Gemara says
0: that those kinds of people, like Yeruvah Manavad, who are chitimach to Sarab in the Yerud Le Gehenim, they don't come out after 11 months, 12 months. They don't come out after a short period of time. They're there forever and ever. They're there for, <coughs> for generations. And their faces are They're, they're comparable to the blackened pots. Right? The pot, when it gets you know put on the fire, it turns black. And so too was the face of Yerav Menavot. So too is the body of Yerav Menavot. He turned to charcoal, because like the Alei Kedar that we talked about before, in Al-Tiyosh Anit and Hashemesh, like the Pasuk says, that Shechere right? That I'm from the Alei Kedar, That's the same thing, except that here it's not the sun, it's the fire that's turning the person black. So what you see here is associated, the Rav Menavad is punished so much for being chaytim, that he turns black, he's turning black from the heat of the fire, from the fact that he's being tormented and tortured in Gehenna. So again, it would seem that this is a negative association, right? that somebody's become black has has had an association with too much um, with Gehenna. I believe that one can sort of not see that Gemara that way necessarily here, and see that as more of the heat of the fire. That is, I don't think this Gemara is a raya, like the Gemara in Sanhedrin, which does indicate that being cursed with one skin means that Chum's that, uh, son became black. That, um, you know, that... Uh, um, that would seem to be a, one cannot get out of the G'monin Sanhedrin. It seems to be 100% that like G'vairi is by definition, the black skin is associated with a curse. Um, but not here. Here it's associated with the heat of the fire, in the same way that Oli Kedar and Shir Ashirim, the same with Ibn Ezra said that being out in the sun, you know, causes one to become very tan, very dark, very black. So, so too is true over here. Yerubim ben is effectively beginning very dark because of the fact that he's burning all the time. So, he's just like a darkened pot. So, I don't think you can, I don't think this has the same, even though it's Yerubim ben who's a terrible, terrible person, it's not, the, the blackness is not a curse. It is a natural reaction to heat. It's a natural reaction to the sun. It's a natural reaction to the fire. The same way a kettle turns black, and so therefore, for this gemar, I think it fits with the understanding of the Ibn Ezra, with the understanding of other farshim, that understand that blackness is not a negative per se. It is associated with something that had too much, um, too much uh, uh, sun, too much heat, too much outdoors. However, again, it seems that there are other mamare chazal we don't know necessarily the source, for example, of saying "Kadashiyasim," but one of the earliest sources is from the of Vitri, who brings down a mice with Rabbi Akiva. Everybody's probably familiar with this story. Rabbi Akiva had a uh, had a uh, a trip that he was taking through uh, through the street, and he ends up in a cemetery, and he sees a guy walking. And in the story, the way the of Vitri brings it down. This guy was as black as charcoal. And he says to him, what's going on? Who, who are you? Why are you running around with such a big load? And these guys are running to and fro like is nobody's business. He's black as charcoal. And he's I'm curious, like, what, what are you doing? Why are you running around like this? And he says, I can't talk to you. Um, but I'm very busy. So I'm being punished and I, I can't take a minute off even Shmuz with Yisrael. Kiva says, just, just one second, well what did you do in life? Did you get such a punishment? So he says, I was a muhiz. <coughs> I was a tax collector. If you recall, we just did over shruis, the din of the machus, the dinah, and he would eat. did was a terrible thing. Right? The Gemara says that there are three different types of tax collectors that one doesn't have to abide by. One is a muhiz. That's a guy who's not adhering to the king's rules. He's doing whatever he wants. A muchas sha'inlai he doesn't have set rigid rules. He just charges whomever he wants to charge, whatever he wants to charge. Or Akusi, somebody's a muchas who's a guy. But on this second one, a mucha sha'inla that's effectively what this guy says he did. He was very dishonest. He would charge the poor more than he charged the rich. He wasn't into progressive taxation. And therefore he has this big punishment today but what we see from this story is that his punishment of being ahead of him is that he's black black as charcoal again you could potentially say that maybe it's like uh maybe it's like the uh, situation of your Menavat. of the difference is that over here it doesn't seem to be black because of the fact that he was next to a fire it seems that he's running around he's busy you know carrying loads and the or, or maybe Maybe he was outside, that's how he becomes black. It's not 100% clear, but perhaps you could see in this story another, another sort of negative connotation that somebody in Gehenim turns black. That is, it's part of the punishment. Not 100% clear from the story. But but it is clear, I think, there are a couple of gamaras on the other end that is in relation to whiteness, that whiteness is is considered or more white is considered something beautiful. We know that many years ago, during the medieval era, the way they would paint pictures, they would try to really make some uh, figures very, very white. Being tan was considered a negative. Why? Because that meant you worked out in the fields. That meant you were poor. You didn't have the ability to stay indoors. You had to Go out into the sun, and it was only later on when you get to the Impressionist era and, and later eras when people were willing to paint as things actually were, right? The realistic eras, etc., where people, I think it was 1864 and on, when they started to paint sceneries as they actually were, paint peasants, paint people with you know, uh, swarthy features and the like. But in the days of, of the medieval era. Being as white as possible and as fat as possible were good indications. Being fat meant that you had enough food. Being white meant they never had to go outside and work with your hands. Being pudgy and flabby, these were great things, great characteristics. Today we find them off-putting. Today we say they're not healthy, but that's how it was then. So the Gemara it tells us that when a, uh, a pregnant woman engages in intimate acts at points in her pregnancy... It can make the child more mizurizu It can make the child more white, which seems like a good quality to have from the Gemara. We also have another Gemara on the basis of the on the basis of the Pusik last week in Pashas Nasai that tells us that when the mice of the Saita finishes and she uh, ends up passing the test, the Pesach says, V'niksav and Azara. So she becomes clean, that uh, um, she passes the test, so then she has a child. The like, Gemara neither says, well, if she already had a children, she's going to have better children. And one of the definitions of what is a better child is that it'll be a whiter child. So we seem, even if we're not necessarily associating blackness with something negative, but rather something missione, something unique, there seems to be certainly an indication that whiteness has certain attributes that in Chazal's mind, were considered somewhat more positive. I see we're getting short on time, and I'd like to just finish with um, one more thing, which is like like this. The 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 or maybe to bring it all together is like this. So Targum Onkelos tells us that what does it mean Isha Kushis? She says it's a Shaparta. She was a beautiful woman that's what Rasha said about the Gematria. The uncle says bring it down as a Gematria, but he says that she was just a very beautiful person. So what we came out with today is that in the relation to somebody being black, which it seems that Sipaira is being defined as, if it's sipar or another woman, from the Torah is only positive. Maishra Abena was married to Akushas. Either was a second wife or was Sipara. Do we see some negative connotations associated with blackness in Chazal? Yes, the Gemara in Sanhedrin about Kham, That's true. But many, many other Gemaras show us, and just to be clear, we also see certain indications that whiteness is better. Or not versus blackness, but being more white versus less white is better. But many, many Gemaras that focus on blackness are focusing on the Mishunadik aspect of it, the fact that it was unique for them, that they hadn't seen something like that in their lifetime. And that has no negative indica- indications at all. It's just something unique, the same way an elephant was unique, the same way a monkey was unique. It was nothing more than that. And when it comes to seeing in the Pesukim, we had our approaches of Rashi, the Rashbam, the Ibn Ezra. We had also our and Maikon. But what we come out with is Either she was married, either Rosh Hashanah was married to a black woman, or he was married to Tippara who looked black, or he was married to Tippara who was in so incredibly beautiful and white, but the Torah didn't want to mention it because of Ayanhar. But if we take the parts of the Ibn Ezra, is that it was Tippara, but she was black because the sun made her swarthy, the sun made her dark. That would also explain what the Psalm and and would also explain the perhaps the Gemara and Rosh Hashanah about about um, Yerub Menavat, and, and it might explain that, the, the machsavitri about, about Rabbi Kiva, and the, and the Mukhas who, who seemed like, uh, like he was black. So the concluding point is, is that the Pasha Pashanam Pasek is actually that being black was good enough for Maishu Rabbeinu, and certainly good enough for all of us kachamas. Sure.